1 Peter chapter 3, starting at verse 8. Finally, all of you, have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him speak peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God, with angels, authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Thank you so much, um... Jess, and do keep that uh, passage open there in your um, Bibles, but let me just pray uh, before we look at that together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your word is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Uh, please train us by your word this evening to live well for you. In Jesus' name we ask, uh, amen. Well, just two months ago, uh, the Employment Tribunal uh, decided the case of a clinical nurse uh, forced out of her job for wearing a necklace with a cross. Now, you might think, well, fair enough. Perhaps jewellery isn't permitted in clinical areas. Uh, and that's what the NHS Trust uh, argued. This was just an application of its dress code policy. Uh, but it... Uh, wasn't the tribunal found that the wearing of jewellery, including necklaces, was rife. It was widely tolerated and that there were almost no documents showing action on dress against anyone other than this nurse. Uh, I like the tribunal's account of an interview with her. She said, well, someone else in the theatre was wearing a necklace and they weren't challenged. Uh, we're only talking about you, says the interviewer. Uh, this, said the tribunal, rather missed an important uh, point. Um, and the tribunal found a catalogue of conduct which had the effect of creating an environment uh, it described as offensive, 
threatening, hostile, intimidating, and uh, humiliating. Now, we're probably not that surprised. I mean, most of us will have felt pressure of some kind or another for being believers in Jesus. The cold shoulder at work or school, a hostile question, a bit of mocking. Uh, The radio presenter, uh, Jeremy Vine, apparently a Christian, has said it's now socially unacceptable to say that Jesus is who he said he was. Um, And I think he's got a point. We're in a culture uh, that regards belief in Jesus as like driving while holding your mobile phone. It's socially unacceptable. And books like Dawkins' God Delusion are bestsellers. People are delighted to consume the idea that we're deluded and dangerous. That then is the culture we're in. How on earth are we to deal with it? Well, the answers are here for us in this passage in 1 Peter because it's all about facing verbal opposition. There's reviling, verse 9, reviling, or insult, as the NIV translates it. Verse 15 talks about having to make a defense. That supposes, of course, a hostile accusation. Uh, In verse 16, Peter writes, when you're slandered. Uh, And verse 16 also has that word revile or insult uh, again. Uh, The people Peter writes to then are people facing verbal opposition, uh, people like uh, us. So what message does Peter have for them Uh, and so for us? Well, he spells out what they and we as believers are to do, what we're to do, and he deals with the obvious question that raises, how can we do that? Well, just before we look at those two things, so what we're to do and how we can do that. Um, it's worth marking the fact that this letter is clear that facing verbal opposition is suffering. Peter calls it that in verse 14 uh, and in verse 17. And he'll go on in chapter 4 to refer to it as a fiery trial. Now, I don't know about you, I find that a relief. Uh, I mean, we can feel a bit pathetic, can't we? Being intimidated at the thought of a bit of ridicule. When in other parts of the world, as we know, people are facing prison, violence, even death for their faith. Uh, But the truth is, verbal opposition is powerful. Uh, To face it is to pay a real cost for faith is, Peter says, to suffer. Okay, then what, what are we to do? Well, we're to do two things, Peter says, about those who speak against us. And the first is, bless them. Bless them. Look at verse 9. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. When we're laughed at or insulted, the answer then is not to do the same back, not to give them a taste of their own medicine. No, we're to bless them, so do them some good. 
And Peter underlines this point by quoting Psalm 34, a Psalm of David when he was on the run, fleeing the persecution of Saul. And yet David speaks in verse 10 and 11 here of our passage of keeping his tongue from evil, his lips from speaking deceit, of turning away from evil and doing good instead, seeking peace and pursuing it. And David didn't just sing it, uh, he did it at the end of this episode of persecution we read in 1 Samuel 25 what Saul says after David spares his life you are more righteous than I for you have repaid me good whereas I have repaid you evil Uh, the temptation to bite back can be strong but it's not the way says Peter instead do your verbal attackers good. Uh, John Bunyan uh, captured this in the brilliant uh, Pilgrim's Progress, Christian and faithful come to the town called Vanity, where there's a great fair. Uh, The stallholders are amused that Christian and faithful set little store by what's on offer. They're not even interested in uh, looking at the goods. Uh, And when the two men talk about truth, while things turn ugly, This, writes Bunyan, made everyone despise the men even more. Some mocking, some taunting, some insulting, and some calling on others to punch them. But the two men were patient, not repaying insult with insult, but with blessing, returning good words for bad and kindness for injuries. We, says Peter, are to be like Christian and faithful. We must bless those who insult us. Okay, the second thing Peter says we're to do is tell them the gospel. Tell them the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for a reason for the hope that's in us. Uh, Now, the flavor here is not of answering a polite inquiry. I mean, that would hardly call for a Defense. No, this is the believer on the back foot facing hostile questions. And we know already the hope and the reason for it that Peter's talking about because they're there right at the start of Peter's letter. Chapter 1, verse 3. According to God's great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who, by God's power, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Our certain hope, then, is that wonderful eternal life uh, in the new creation, already won for us and just waiting to be revealed. The reason for it and its certainty is the resurrected Jesus. The first man has already been raised to enjoy the glory of that new life. Be ready then, says Peter, to tell those who oppose you of that hope and of that reason um, for it. Uh, And it's not just what 
we say, how we say it, is important. Yet, Peter writes at the end of verse 15, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So it's not about uh, smart argument or going on the attack. No, we must watch the character of our, of our speech as well as its content. And how could it be otherwise? Really, after all, as the uh, Canadian pastor Don Carson has said, we're only ever poor beggars telling other poor beggars where there's bread. Uh, well, I hope uh, Peter's helped us get clear what we're to do uh, about verbal opposition, so bless them and tell them. Um, before we address the, as I say, obvious question that raises, how can we do that? Uh, there's a chance now to uh, chat in little groups about what we're up against, which is peer pressure, or as you might call it, fear of man. So I've put a J.C. Ryle um, quote on the handout, and which may appear on the screen, and a, a question there to look at. So do spend um, five minutes on that in... Um, uh, groups of uh, four or five or so, and uh, I'll, I'll bring us back again in five minutes. Right, let's come uh, back together there. Um, and move to that, that second question of how can we then, how can we then bless them and tell them, as Peter says we should? Well, first, says Peter, by cultivating a fear exchange, a fear exchange. Peter knows it's the power of peer pressure, which you've just been looking at, the fear of man, which holds them back. And so he tells them, verse 14, have no fear of them, don't be troubled. How? Well, by exchanging that fear for a stronger, infinitely better Fear, the fear of God. Instead of fearing man, verse 15, regard Christ the Lord as holy. Now, it's the same point Peter made to them in verse 17 of chapter 2. Verse 17 of chapter 2, fear God. And he underlines it here in uh, a couple of ways, I think. Um, first, he's quoting in verses 14 and 15 of our passage from Isaiah 8. And just listen to how Isaiah 8 continues. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall regard as holy. Let him be your fear. Let him be your dread. Uh, second, he's already quoted, as we've seen from Psalm 34, which is rammed full of this fear exchange. Uh, David in that psalm praises God for delivering him from all his fears and then sings, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. And immediately before the verses quoted by Peter uh, in our passage, there's this, come, O children, listen to me, I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Uh, Peter is shouting, there's a wrong fear and a right fear. The way to get over the wrong fear of man is to grow in a right fear of God. 
And this fear exchange runs right through uh, the Bible. Uh, and I've realized uh, that only in the last uh, year or two, that um, fear of God is in the Bible central to life as a believer. Uh, I'm only at the very beginning of trying to understand that, um, trying to feel that. Um, one thing which does leap out uh, is this, that fear of God is a positive thing, hugely positive. Now, when we hear the word fear, it doesn't sound positive to us, does it? But the Bible is adamant that the fear of God is vital to a life well lived, a joyful life. So Proverbs insists it's the beginning of wisdom. And uh, listen to this from Isaiah 11, looking forward to Jesus. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. That this fear is so positive, it's to be delighted in. And given it drives out a fear of others, which, let's face it, can dominate our lives otherwise, perhaps we can begin to see um, why. Uh, and let me share two ways of starting to think about the fear of God, which um, I found helpful. That The first is um, that it's a bit like uh, how the old man in the fishing village I come from viewed the sea. Now, the sea was their livelihood, their life. Uh, they loved it, and they respected it, its sheer power, its vastness. They knew man was no match for it. Their joy of the sea was bound up, absolutely, with their awe at it. They loved it more than the people who just came to the seaside for a holiday, partly because they didn't take it lightly like them. No, the sea is to be taken seriously, and so is God. Uh, the second is to think about how it's like the fear of man. So to fear man is to be consumed, isn't it, with what they'll think of us. And the right fear of God is also, I think, a concern with what someone will think of us. To fear God is to want to live lives pleasing to him, lives shaped by his commands. Uh, and that way does lie joy because his ways are better than our ways. Um, Psalm 2 captures all this perfectly. Serve the Lord with fear, says uh, verse 11 of that psalm, and rejoice with trembling. Rejoicing and fearful trembling go hand in hand. Okay, back to um, Peter. and in, in verse 13 and the start of verse 14, he helps his readers cultivate this fear exchange. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what's good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, 
you will be blessed. The, the idea is this. If we trust Jesus, seen in our desire, our zeal to do good, what can man do to us at the end of the day? No ultimate harm can come. No, instead, we'll be blessed because we'll receive that inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, unfading. And the reason for that hope we've seen for its certainty is the resurrected Jesus. So a key means of cultivating the fear exchange is this, to dwell on Christ's victory at the cross, a victory even over death, put beyond any doubt by the resurrection. Uh, If we dwell on that, we can begin to say those words in Hebrews, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? That the Lord is our helper, Peter underlines with the end of his Psalm 34 quote in, in our verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer. Well, Jesus and his victory are also at the heart of Peter's second answer to the question, how can we bless them and tell them? Uh, And it's this, look at Jesus, says Peter, look at Jesus. Now, Peter's already told his readers to look at the example of Christ back in chapter 2. When Jesus was reviled, Peter reminded um, them in verse 23 of chapter 2, Jesus did not revile in return. But in our passage, Jesus' example goes beyond his conduct to include the effect of his suffering and what came after uh, his suffering. Uh, The effect of his suffering is there in the middle of verse 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Uh, He suffered then that he might bring people to God. Now, the suffering of Peter's readers then and now under verbal opposition is plainly not the same as Christ's sacrifice without which none of us can come to God. But it may be used in bringing others to God. And that was Peter's point, wasn't it? In chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, those verses which headline all this teaching on how we're to live. We're to do good, he said in those verses, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's saying the opposers may be won over and become themselves followers of Jesus, glorifying him when he returns. Uh, Bunyan's next chapter after Vanity Fair in Pilgrim's Progress starts this way. Now I saw in my dream that Christian didn't go on alone. Someone whose name was hopeful, this is what he became after observing the words and behavior and all the suffering of Christian and faithful at Vanity Fair joined him as he walked. The effect of Jesus' suffering then is an example for us. And so is what came after his suffering. And that was and is 
uh, resurrected uh, glory. Christ also suffered, writes Peter in verse 18, but was then made alive in the spirit. In other words, he was resurrected, verse 21, and is now, verse 22, in heaven, in glory. And that glory is to be ours too. Peter insists throughout this letter in uh, verse 10 of chapter 5. Uh, so chapter 5, verse 10, as he closes, he writes that God has called his readers to his eternal glory in Christ. When opposition comes, says Peter, look at Jesus. By his example, we can know with certainty what comes after our suffering. It's resurrected glory. Where Jesus has gone, we will certainly uh, follow. And there's another example, and this is Peter's third point, another example, Noah. We're to look at Noah. Now, uh, with a, a dollop of uh, trepidation and with the caveat that these are very uh, hard verses to understand, um, let me first say what, what I think is going on in verses 19 and 20, and then we'll look at the example of Noah. So, um, with something of a deep uh, breath, um, it was in the spirit, it said, that Jesus was made alive, so that is resurrected. And it was in that same spirit that he went and proclaimed the message, so to repent and believe, to people back in Noah's day. Now, I say that because Peter has already described Old Testament prophets like Noah as preaching by the Spirit of Christ in them. That's back in verse 11 of chapter 1. Now, these same people Christ preached to back then through Noah are now the spirits in prison, so in hell, because they did not obey that teaching. Only a handful, these verses say eight, only a handful were saved through the water. So the same flood waters which brought judgment also floated the ark, bringing those eight safely through. Well, back to Noah, he is a very good example, isn't he? I mean, imagine the mockery as he built his ark, this huge vessel in the middle of the desert. Uh, if Dawkins had been writing then, he could have devoted his opening chapter to crazy old uh, Noah. But Noah stood firm and he told them. He just proclaimed the message and by that, he saved some. And of course, he was right to believe God. Judgment did come, and with it, salvation. So when you're being mocked, says Peter, look at Noah. Look at Noah. We can stand firm. We can tell people of Jesus gently and respectfully, as we've seen, knowing as Noah did that salvation is coming. We may even help save some others. Because anyone, anyone who puts their faith in Jesus, of which baptism is a symbol, is saved from the judgment which will come at Jesus' promised return. Not by the uh, baptismal waters removing dirt from our body, as verse 21 of our passage says, but because 
as it also says, our conscience is cleaned by the sacrifice of Jesus for our sins. Well, um, before a few closing words, we'll have a little more uh, time in groups. Getting used to this uh, idea that the fear of God is so positive. So do look at the um, question there on the sheet in which... uh, will come up on the screen. Uh, and those few proverbs that I've noted down, look at those together and do spend a little time um, in prayer. Uh, uh, we'll take five minutes um, for that and then I'll just come up for a couple of closing words. Oh, well, let's come back uh, together again there. Uh, and as we close, uh, it may be that you're not yet a Christian, you may be a mocker even. Uh, I was one. Well, please do investigate Jesus further. He didn't just warn and try to save the mockers in Noah's day. He's still warning and wanting to save today. Do read of him, meet him in one of the gospel accounts in the Bible. Uh, And for those of us who are believers, one final encouragement to living well in the face of verbal opposition. It's, it's this. Uh, we're not asked to do this alone. Uh, first, we can, we should support each other by being united, loving, sympathetic, as Peter says in verse 8 of our passage. And second, good behavior is, we see in verse 16, in Christ, in Christ. So Jesus is an example, but he's not just an example. He is also with us. We are in him and he is in us by his spirit. Uh, We are not then in this uh, alone. Well, let's pray then. Um, Heavenly Father, make us those who delight in fearing you, And so free us from the fear of man, that peer pressure. Free us to do good to those who insult us, who ridicule us, and to tell them of Jesus, uh, in whose name we pray. Amen.